The story of Benaiah contains one of the most inconceivable and probably inspirational passages in Scripture that I've never heard of, and probably you may not have heard of either. So, can I have the first slide up, Dave, please? And I'm going to read to you from 2 Samuel 23. It's only two little verses, so you needn't look it up. There was also Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two of Moab's mighty warriors. Another time, he chased a lion down into a pit. Then despite the snowy and slippery ground, he caught the lion and killed it. Another time, armed only with a club, he killed a great Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaiah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. And that is pretty much all we know about Benaiah. Now, it's easy to read, isn't it, and not register, actually, what on earth went on here? I'm just going to pick on the middle thing that he did. He chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day and killed it. That's it. That's what I'm going to talk about this morning. Have you ever heard of someone chasing a lion? Usually, if you see a lion in the wild, you'd run away, right? As quickly as possible. You're not going to chase it, are you? Well, off. Put yourself in Benaiah's shoes. He's out walking, maybe walking back at the end of the day. And out of the corner of his eye, he sees something moving in the undergrowth. So he kind of stands still, has a look, and then their eyes meet. Muscles tense. What a Hollywood moment. You'll know what happens next in these films, won't you? Man is scared, runs away, lion gives chase and eats man. That's pretty much normally what happens. Not this time. Not Benaiah. He chases the lion. The lion in the snow falls down a pit. Now, Benaiah probably stood at the top and looked into the snowy pit. And if it was us, we'd shout, hooray! God provided a solution. The lion fell down the pit, he's safe, and we'd walk away. That's what I'd do. That's probably what you'd do. But nope. Benaiah takes a flying leap of faith into the pit. You hear the roar. That's if you're falling asleep by now, by the way. You hear a blood-curdling cry. You wait to see a lion shake its mane and strut out of the pit. But no. After a few minutes, Benaiah climbs out of the snowy pit. Blood dripping. Claw marks on his face and the lion's head in his hand. A totally and utterly improbable victory. Okay, great verses, you say. And I quite like the story. But what could God be telling us through this? What can he be teaching us? What can he be whispering to us today? Through, to be honest, is a bit of a boy's own adventure, isn't it? I would have t- if I'd known this story, was that I would have told it to my lads when they were small and we would have chased the lion and it would have been great. But what can we learn? And I think, stating the obvious, it doesn't sound promising, does it? Chasing a lion. It's not something you'd want to do. 
So firstly, the first point I want to draw out of this is that God strategically places us in the right place at the right time. Because a sense of destiny and divine encounters are ours as his children. But the problem is, and here's the catch, the right place and the right time often seem like us, but they're the wrong place and the wrong time. Stating the obvious, encountering a lion is usually a bad thing. Being in a pit with a lion on a snowy day usually qualifies as a complete and utter disaster and definitely not the right place or the right time. You wouldn't bet on Benaiah winning that day, would you? Well, clearly, all being good Christians, you wouldn't bet. But if you did and you had, you wouldn't have thought the odds on him would be very good. Move forward a couple of verses in, the, in Samuel, and it says this. And David put Benaiah in charge of his bodyguard. Now, I wouldn't imagine that Benaiah started his day wanting to be in a pit with a lion. Would you? You're not going to wake up thinking, well, I think today I'll chase a lion into a pit. That's not what you wake up thinking in the morning. But you have to admit, I killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Looks pretty good on your CV if you're replying to be a God bodyguard with the king of Israel. And God turned what seemed to be a horrible situation into a big break. And God put Benaiah in charge of David's bodyguard, who later became one of the mighty men and oversaw 24,000. And it all started in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. In hindsight, Benaiah might have thought, ah, now I can see what God was doing, having me in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. But on that day, on that moment, I wouldn't imagine he had a clue what was happening. And often... When we look back, we see how God's pulled things together in our lives. So we need to be open to hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit and to do whatever he says. Now, if Benaiah hadn't felt prompted and he jumped into the pit, what do you think would have happened to him? He'd have been shredded, wouldn't he? But it was because God gave him the courage and led him in that direction. So we need to always be open to hear what the Holy Spirit says, and look for God-ordained opportunities. Now, I don't know how many of you, quite often um, during Lent or sometimes at Christmas, we go on these um, websites, Is it's the stewardship website, and it talks about doing acts of kindness. Have people, people been on those websites? Have you th thought about doing acts of kindness, random acts of kindness? And I've read great stories that people have done. You know, they've, they've, they've stood in lines at the supermarket and paid for the person's shopping in front of them. And the person's been, you know, surprised, I would think, but blessed. Or God's told people to, to do all sorts of things, to just volunteer to go wash people's car, to volunteer to do all sorts of stuff. But, you know, it only w happens and works if God prompts you, doesn't it? It's not something you can manufacture. I've been thinking for ages and ages, I really wanted to just to do something like that, but it never quite seemed the right moment. And a couple of weeks ago, I was at the Living Water coffee shop, and I'd had, quick plug here, a very nice coffee and homemade soup and cake and something else, I can't remember, but quite a lot anyway. And I, I was paying the till with Bill, and I thought, oh, great, and out I went, didn't think anything of it. And then there was an old couple out there, 
And God just said to me, give them money and pay for them to go and have a cup of coffee. And I thought, ooh, ooh. So I thought, oh, all right then. So I opened my wallet. was pretty distressed that I only had a £10 note left. I have to say, I was looking for a fiver, but no, I didn't have one. So I just gave them the £10 note and said, go and have a cup of coffee. You deserve it. Just go and have a nice rest. And the bloke was going, no, 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 I can't take this, as you would. And the woman said, no one's ever said that to me before. Thank you very much. And they took it, and in they went. I had no idea whether they went in. They might, did they go in? I've got no idea whether they went in. They may have gone in, they may not have gone in. But the fact was, I just heard God say, come on, you've always thought about this. You've never done it because it was completely something. You can't manufacture, can you? You can't go around just doing, I can't, unless God actually prompts me. Now, just before, just until, you might think, oh, wow, she must really listen to God. Let me tell you another story. Fast forward two weeks later, I was in a car park in Birmingham. It was my 50th birthday. I don't look that old, I hear you say, but I was in a car park in Birmingham with Mark and with James, and we'd gone to Electric Cinema, where I met dear Kevin. I didn't go there to meet Kevin, surely, because Kevin was there. Stop that rumor right there with Gemma. And we were just, we just parked the car and we were walking around and the bloke came along with a big fat wad of car keys with an old knackered van key and he said, oh, it says, I just need to tell you, it says, um, my van's just blown its head gasket and I need to get back to Burton-on-Trent and it's going to cost me £3.20 and I haven't got the money, can you help us? So I stood there and I looked at Mark and said, it's up to him, like all good women do, they refer to their husbands, don't they, when it suits them. So I said, it's up to him. And Mark looked there, and boy, did he glare at me. And we were like thinking, this is a scam. I'm, I'm off my guard here. I don't know what to do. I'm thinking. And before I knew it, James put his hand in his pocket, took out all the change he had, and gave it to the bloke. And I thought, hmm. Then he went off, and I said to James, I said, son, you do know that was a scam, don't you? And he said, mummy says, if the guy... It wasn't the scam, then he needed that money. And if it was a scam, he also that needed that money. So happy day, and I hope it helps him. I thought, you know what? Why couldn't I have done that? Sometimes you have to be shown up by your kids, don't you? And it was only the next day when I reflected on it, I thought, man, he showed a generosity of spirit that I just didn't have. And in the end, because I'm not brilliant on technology, I messaged him, and I think I only messaged him, not the whole world, and said, thanks, son, for your spirit of generosity. And thanks for showing me that I'm never too old to learn from my kids. So I don't always get it right. I hardly ever get it right. But you know what? When God prompts you, you have to do it, don't you? And sometimes God prompts us. And sometimes we just walk on past completely and miss it. I also read on Facebook, and I'm going to embarrass him now. Somebody said Mike Corbley Bailey, who's now just woken up. I was thinking, oh, I'll just meet there. I saw your post on Facebook, Mike, that one of your students at school, just absolutely out of the blue, just asked you about what it meant to be a Christian. And I think your post said, after you'd fallen off your chair, you then had a conversation with him. But that's not something you can manufacture, is it? That's not something you can say, right, today I'm going to go and speak to somebody at work about Jesus, because you might get it completely and utterly wrong. But when God provides the opportunity... That's the issue. God provides the opportunity. Then do you know what? You're in the right place 
at the right time, even if you think you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. So we need to be open to hearing the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And maybe we measure our spirituality the wrong way because following Jesus isn't meant to be safe or civilized. It's often seeing or stumbling upon and then seizing God-ordained opportunities because every opportunity is a gift from God. And as we take them, our faith grows and others around us are impacted. What sets lion chasers like Benaiah apart isn't the outcome, but the courage to chase and do what God asks you. Benaiah went on to have a great military career. He climbed all the way to become commander-in-chief of Israel's army. But it all started with what one of m- most of us would think is being in the wrong place at the wrong time. You said to me, chasing a lion down a pit on a snowy day would not be where I thought I wanted to be, but it was the place where God wanted him that day. We all have different, unique life circumstances, don't we? And I guess you've all encountered some lions, fallen into some pits, weathered some snowy days. Maybe you have a God-sized dream that scares the pants off you. Maybe you've got a bad habit Or maybe bad decisions find you at the bottom of a snowy pit. Maybe you've got self-doubt. But the story of Benaiah is an inspiration, but it also challenges me and us about our perspective on life, which at times, if I'm honest, for me, I can be quite negative. But God can also use past experiences to prepare us for future opportunities. But these opportunities sometimes come disguised as man-eating lions. We can run away or we can chase what God's asking us to do and seize the opportunities that he puts before us. Romans 8.28, we all know it, don't we? We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purposes. It's often only when we look back that we can actually see the all things working. Because sometimes the odds against us seem impossible But, you know, this sets the stage for a miracle. Sometimes God doesn't intervene until something is humanly impossible. Think of the story of Gideon. He had an army of over 30,000 fighting men. And he was there to do battle and take on the Midianites. They were already the underdogs because 30,000 wasn't many against the Midianites. But then God said to him, Gideon, you've got too many men. Reduce the number. So reluctantly, he did, down to 10,000. And then God said, Gideon, you've still got too many men. Reduce the number. Now, can you imagine? If I was Gideon, I'd be going, God, are you sure? Have I heard this right? Didn't you say I've got too few men, not too many? We don't always like what God says to us, do we? Because it doesn't always make sense. The odds have to be millions to one against Gideon at this stage. And then it gets even better. God says, well, now you've only got 300 and you can put down your swords. You can put down your spears. You're going to fight them with a clay jar and a trumpet. What sort of battle plan's that? Who ever heard of fighting with a clay jar 
and a trumpet and reducing the numbers down and down and down. But we know the story, don't we? Israel won because God's plan worked. So even though sometimes the odds seem impossible, that's because God is working so that the glory goes to him rather than to us, and we know that it's not something we can have done. If I'd been Gideon, would I have reduced my army from 30,000 down to 300? Would I have put my spears and clubs away and gone with a silly little jar? Would I? Do you know what? If I'm honest, probably not. I'd probably have gone, come on, and gone in with the 32,000 men, and we'd have been in trouble. But God knew what he was doing. Gideon listened to what God said, and even though it really didn't make any sense at all, he obeyed what God was telling him. And I wonder, do our prayers sometimes revolve around asking God to reduce the odds in our lives so that everything is in our favor and more comfortable? Do we ask God to make things easier for us, to make things pan out the way we want them to? Yep, I'm probably guilty of that as well. But maybe God wants us to experience a miracle. Maybe faith is trusting God no matter what the odds are. Maybe our difficult situations are opportunities to actually let God work. It sometimes takes a setback to get us where God wants us to go. It may take a God-ordained opportunity that comes as a well-disguised man-eating lion. So it's about leaning into God, listening, discerning, not being afraid when it seems difficult and trusting God. Because let's be honest, no one likes being in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. But maybe God's preparing our character and honing our skills that will serve us better in later life. And how we pray is a matter of perspective. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Letters to Malcolm, said this. If God had granted all the silly prayers I've made in my life, where would I be now? He went on to say that someday we will be more grateful for our prayers that didn't get answered than the ones that did, because many of our prayers are misguided. We pray for comfort instead of character. We pray for a way out rather than the strength to make it through. We pray for no pain. We pray that God will keep us out of pits and away from lions. But if God answered all those prayers, we would be robbed of opportunities and our prayers would short-circuit God's plans and purposes if he just answered with a quick fix. Maybe we should stop asking God get us out of difficult circumstances and ask him what he wants us to get out of them, what he can teach us. Do we blame our circumstances when things aren't going well? Maybe we should be looking at perspective and saying, God, what are you trying to show me here? And what I found to be the key is that wor for me anyway, worship is often the way out and the way through. The Bible says, doesn't it, lift up your heads, O you gates, that the king of glory may come in. Because worship can unlock our spirits. Another story, one you're familiar with. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas. They're there in stocks, 
in a Philippian dungeon. This is not a five-star jail like HMI Featherston. You may not think that's five-star, but they were in a Middle Eastern pit, a hellhole, probably marginally better than being in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. They're beaten physically. They're exhausted. They're emotionally spent and drained. If I was them, I know I'd be pretty upset with God for letting this happen. I'd be saying, God, I was out there preaching the gospel. How come you've let me end up in this pit in the middle of the night? It's horrendous. God, what's going on? If it was me, and probably you, but I shouldn't tie you all with my brush, but I suspect it might be, the next verse in the Bible would have said, around midnight, Mary was complaining, moaning, and having a strop. That's probably what it would have said. But no, the Bible says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening. From experience, I've learned that in some of our struggles, when I get into a spiritual or emotional slump, it's usually because I've looked at the problem or circumstances, mulled it over, and taken my eyes off God, and forgotten to bring it to him. So what we do is we need to zoom out and get perspective to shift the focus away from circumstances and focus on God. Give thanks to God. To focus on his unconditional love. Refocusing on the fact that we have eternity with God to look forward to in a place with no mourning or sorrow or pain. To worship and remember what is right with God. Because worship's like hitting the refresh button on your computer. People use the refresh button on your computer. It restores the joy of your salvation. It recalibrates your spirit. It renews your mind. And enables you to find something good to praise God for, even when everything else seems to be going wrong. Because the circumstances we complain about can become the chains that, Im that imprison us. But worship is a way through. It reframes our situations and refocuses our lives. It helps us get through the difficult days by reminding us how good God is. When we worship, it's like our eyes are opened to notice what God is doing around us. Now, the more challenging... And the more difficulties to have, do you know what? The more potential we have to help other people. Because our difficulties and problems don't disqualify us from being used by God. And I've fallen into that trap as well. Don't let Satan feed you the lie that you aren't good enough. If you don't have any difficulties or problems, you don't actually have much potential. Because your ability to help others heal is limited to where you've been wounded. God comforts us in our troubles so we can comfort others. When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God gives us. In your pit, in a line with a snowy day, maybe God's remodeling you, increasing your capacity 
maybe facing a lion in a pit on a snowy day isn't the wrong place at the wrong time, but actually it's the right place at the right time. Maybe the circumstances you thought would ne- you would never overcome will turn into an opportunity. So I just want to round up with a couple more mind-boggling scriptures. Not that one, whatever they're shouting. Long before God laid earth's foundations, he had us in mind. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family. He thought of everything. He provided for everything we could possibly need. That is amazing, isn't it? God planned for every contingency you might ever encounter before the beginning of time. That is totally impossible for me to comprehend. Long before God laid earth's foundations, he had you in mind. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt you into his family. He thought of everything. He provided for everything you could possibly need. God is in control. If you keep in step with the Spirit, God is going to make sure you get where he wants you to go. He will always work behind the scenes, engineering our circumstances and setting us up for success. And no, it doesn't always seem like it. Sometimes it seems pretty rubbish. If you have a difficult week at work, I had a complete meltdown in the office this week. Pity I didn't go to HOD at the start of the week and I went to work at the start of the week because if I'd gone to HOD at the start of the week, I wouldn't have had a meltdown in the office at the end of the week. But I had a meltdown in the office at the start of the week. It's like, oh. But you know what? You go back, you go to God. In my case, I went to HOD because I like the house with open door. And it just gets things in perspective, doesn't it, when you spend time with God and you can just refocus because God planned for every contingency we could encounter even before the beginning of time. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. But here's the catch. Sometimes God's itinerary entails coming face to face with a lion in a pit on a snowy day. But when you find yourself in those challenging circumstances, you need to know that God is ordering your footsteps. You can have a sense of destiny because you know that God has considered every contingency in your life. He always has your best interests at heart. And that sense of destiny, rooted in the sovereignty of God, helps us worship, change perspective, pray the unthinkable, and attempt the impossible. One more ridiculous story from the Bible. Seeing as I'm on difficult stories this morning, this is 2 Kings chapter 6. And it seems to me like one of the most ridiculous, unlikely prayers in the Bible. A group of prophets are chopping trees near a river when one of their iron axe heads falls into the water. The prophet who lost it said, Alas, master, it was borrowed. Or, oh man, it's gone and it wasn't even mine. He didn't expect it back. He wrote it off. Maybe he just wanted sympathy. He certainly didn't expect a miracle. And the prophet Elisha asks him where it fell in the river. Well, I'm probably thinking, 
what difference does that matter where it fell in the river? The river's really deep. The architect's gone. Why do you need to know where it fell? He shows Elisha where it fell. Elisha throws a stick in the water. And then something happens that probably never happened before or since. In the King James, it said, and the iron did swim. The iron head floated and came up to the surface. How incredible is that? It's only an axe head. Surely that doesn't seem worthy of an amazing miracle, does it? Quite often I'll have conversations with my husband and we'll talk about things like God giving people gold teeth or sprinkly dust on the palm of their hands. And he'll say to me, that's ridiculous. Why would God waste his energy on doing things like that? when you've got all these people in the world that really need his help, and I go, yeah, I do. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, some of these miracles, they seem a bit strange, don't they? But why would God waste his time on making an axe head swim? Seems a bit bizarre to me. Surely, wouldn't God keep miracles for something more important? But does this reveal that actually... God cares even about little things. God is great, not just because nothing is too big for him, but also because nothing is too small for him. It seems such a ridiculous request from Elisha. He must have felt absolutely stupid verbalizing that prayer. Please, God, can you defy the law of physics and make the axe head swim? The reality is nothing is too difficult for God. And I wonder if we rank miracles like a judge at an athletics competition on a scale of difficulty. Well, that miracle, yep, that's a big one. That's an eight. That one, oh, it's only an ingrown toenail. That's just a one. Do we think some requests are easy and some requests are difficult? You know what? That's a bit wonky logic, isn't it? To God, all things are equal. There aren't degrees of difficulty when you can do everything. If you can do everything, nothing's more difficult than anything else. And I wonder, do we pray longer and harder over things that we think are really hard? When actually, because we think they're more challenging, to God, there is no more levels of difficulty. It doesn't matter, like Gideon, how many Moabites you are facing. It doesn't matter the size of the lion in the pit on a snowy day. The issue is, how big is our God? Now, because we know the outcome of Benaiah's lion chase, we fail to appreciate maybe what it looked like to the average bystander. What if Benaiah had been killed by the lion? He would have looked pretty stupid. You can hear people, can't you, whispering at his funeral, did he think he was going to kill a lion in a pit? But he wasn't afraid of doing something that looked ridiculous to others. Think about Noah building his boat. Because he knew that anything is possible with God. And a prayer can never be too ridiculous when you're asking the one who knows no limits. Any prayer we make, small or large, matters to God. It's not harder or easier for him because he 
can do anything. And as our Heavenly Father God rejoices over his children, do you know, I reckon God was more excited about Beniah chasing and killing the lion than Beniah was. Because Beliah didn't know what was then going to happen in the whole chain of events that would come later. So in summary, the story of Beniah is, I think it's exciting, it's challenging, it's a survival guide, and it's an uncovered treasure that we can learn a lot from. I'm just going to skip through the key points, and I'm just going to pray as we do. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we just think about this story, about what you did through this man in the Bible in such an unlikely way. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just illuminate to us the things that you want to say to us, the things you want to prompt us, the things you want to remind us, the things you want to encourage us, Lord. Amen. I'm just going to literally whip through the ten points. And as we're doing, just think about which one of these really applies to me. Which one of these do I, Holy Spirit, need to go away and think about? God strategically places us in the right place at the right time. A sense of destiny and divine encounters are ours as his children. The problem is, the right place and time often seem to us like the wrong place and time. God uses past experiences to prepare us for future opportunities. But these opportunities sometimes come disguised as man-eating lions. Often the odds against us seem impossible but this sets the stage for a miracle. Sometimes God doesn't intervene until something is humanly impossible. Do our prayers revolve around asking God to reduce the odds in our lives so that everything is in our favor and more comfortable? Maybe God wants us to experience a miracle. Maybe faith is trusting God no matter what happens. Maybe our difficult situations, however hard they are, opportunities that we can experience more of God and his glory. No one likes being in pits, but maybe God is preparing our character and honing skills that will serve us later, because how we pray is a matter of perspective, that worship is often the way through. Our difficulties and problems do not disqualify us from being used by God. Don't let Satan feed you the lie that you are not good enough. Because God planned for every contingency you could ever encounter before the beginning of time. And he's walking there with you through it. Because God cares even about little things. God is great, not just because nothing is too big for him, but because nothing is too small for him either. And lastly, do we rank our prayers do we have big requests and little requests? Easy requests and difficult ones. That's our logic. But to God, all things are possible. There aren't any degrees of difficulty when you can do all things. How big is our God? Guys, can you, can you come back? We're going to conclude by singing a song that we sing occasionally, God of Angel Armies. It's I know he goes before me. I know he stands beside me and he is always there because it's a matter of perspective. It's about trusting in God no matter what. For me, it's about following God's purposes for us, whether it makes sense or not. And it's not being afraid of lions in our lives, but being assured that God knows 
that God cares and that God is with us. Let's stand and sing this song. Really, as a declaration. It's a declaration of faith in our God. As we do so, the stewards are going to um, come um, and take the tithes and offerings, and then we'll pl- pray to finish the service. Thank you, Nick.